And when it comes to names, we don't name our children certain names because of connotations that go with it. I mean, let's just be honest. You say you don't care what nobody thinks. I live my own life. Oh, but I'm not going to name my children that because it looked like that. There ain't no husband and wife that ever named their, or mama that ever made, named their children and didn't ponder it for a good while. Amen. Amen. First of all, it shows, if you don't think that, that it matters what people think, it shows a lack of character, like a flashlight in the night. It shows that you don't care about testimony or reputation. It does matter what people think. It does matter. Um, Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. It matters what your name is. And obviously those scriptures are referring to reputation and testimony. Amen. But there's a name attached to each and every testimony and each and every uh, reputation. Amen. Brother Bob Ritthaler, it's good to see you this morning. Would you pray as we get into this message, brother? I preached a message on names uh, years ago, a couple years ago, and, and I learned, and that's not, it doesn't look like it, but it's not really what the message particularly is about, but um, did you know that, that in some parts of the world, uh, over in Europe and, and whatnot, it's illegal to name your kids certain names? It's actually illegal. Um, quite, quite interesting, that is. Um, so I looked up some, some crazy celebrity baby names. You all probably know these. I don't even know these. Amen. Um, so Kanye West and Kim Kardashian named three of their kids, and I don't even know what's a boy or a girl here. One's name is North. One's name is Saint. And one's name is Chicago. Like, what is, what is that? That's, that's weird old world, right? Um, there's a celebrity couple. I don't even know how to say their names. Uh, but they named their child, and this, is not, this isn't a joke, they named their child Pilot Inspector. But, but it's not what you think. It's with a K. Pilot Inspector, like what? What is that? What is that? Why would you do that to your child? Amen. Rihanna named, uh, I don't even, boy or girl, named one of her children the letters RZA. I don't even know what that means. Is that an acronym? I don't know. Can we name our kids in acronyms? Scarlett Johansson uh, named one of their children Cosmo. You know the only other Cosmo I know? Do you guys remember Kramer from Seinfeld? Cosmo was his first name. I don't know why I know that. Amen. Everyone thinks less of me now. Elon Musk, um, one of his kids, maybe a girl here, I don't know, but one of his kids he named <clears throat> EXA Dark. Exa Dark Sedertial. 
S-I-D-E-R, then it's the A and E combined L. When the A and E is combined, it's, it spells ash. So exodark sedertial, if I'm pronouncing it right, I might be murdering it. But in his defense, he came up with the name. She's going to get that all of her life. Uh, the, the weirdest one is he recently named his son. We've all probably heard this. Uh, the letter X, and then A and E combined, and then A-12. That's, that's what all those teachers in their, his future have. X is, I, I think it's, uh, it, well, I, I heard Elon Musk this morning. I was double-checking. He said in his own words, X is just pronounced X. And the A-E together is supposed to be pronounced Ash. So his first name is really X-Ash. X-Ash, which is weird. And then his middle name, I think it's his middle name, is A-12. And that literally stands, just represents the, his favorite airplane. A-12. <laughs> but, but, but to Brother Bob's point, I don't know any Jezebels. There's certainly, certainly not a lot of Delilahs around. There's some Davids and there's Johns. You got way too many Johns around. There's some Daniels, amen. I know some Samsons even. But I tell you what, there's no, no Judases to be found. See, I don't care what people think. I live my life. All right, Mr. Rebellious, it's showing. <laughs> because there's connotations added to that. Look at Matthew 26, 21. And as they did eat, <clears throat> he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray, shall betray me. Can I ask you this morning, church, who was it that dipped his hand in the dish with Jesus? Who was that? Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. Point number one, Judas betrayed Jesus. And, and some might say, well, didn't, didn't Jesus know that Jesus, Judas was going to betray him? Did, didn't Jesus know that Judas was a sheep in wolf's clothing? Didn't Jesus know the heart of Judas? Absolutely. And yet Jesus allowed... I'm going to mix this up tonight. Yet Jesus allowed Judas to, to worship with them, to sing with them, to be there for how many miracles? We don't know how many, but he was, with, he was there. Judas was there for all of that. Yet Judas still betrayed Jesus. The problem is we think that we're better than Judas. When we think of Bible characters... Who do you think that you're most like? Some of them say, oh, I'm like Paul, man. I put out tracts. I get the gospel out everywhere that I can go. Some would say, I'm like Peter, man. I'm going to take my sword, and I'll do anything i got to do. I'll chop off somebody's head you know, for the reputation of Christ or something along those lines. Some might say, oh, I'm like uh, the beloved John. who I just want to lean on Jesus' breast. I just want to love. And, and, right? and then we start going down the list. I'm like Nehemiah. I'm going to build the wall awesome you know I'm John the Revelator let's talk prophecy which Bible character are we most like don't say Jesus <laughs> don't say Jesus 
problem is we always see ourselves better than we really are. Human nature. Human nature. I, 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 I'm not a liar. I just don't always tell the whole truth. That's literally like what a liar would say. I'm not a fornicator. I mean, I, I just have sex before marriage, you know, when we're in love. But that's fornication. Right, right? Uh, uh, I'm not a thief. I just, I only take what I need sometimes when I'm not allowed to. I'm not a drunk. I just have a disease called alcoholism. I'm not selfish. I just know what I want. That's what we hear. I want to say that's our culture and our society, but it's nothing new. It's always been that way. It's called human nature. We're the victim and we blame everybody else. Lord, it was Eve. It was the woman. It wasn't me. He said, no, man, you're a responsible husband. You're the authority. You're the head of the home. She ate the tree. So did you. It doesn't matter whether he did or not. They're both wrong in the eyes of God because he was responsible for what she did. I look up to the word betray. It says to deliver into the hands of an enemy of treachery or fraud. Okay, we know that. Then it says, in violation of trust. Then it says, to violate by fraud or unfaithfulness as to betray a trust. Who, who here has ever been unfaithful to God? We don't want to call it. We don't want to call it betray. No, I don't want to say I betrayed God. That sounds too bad. I don't even like to say I've been unfaithful. I've just not as been as faithful as I should be, Brother Tony. That's how we like to put it, because we always put ourselves in a better light. We like to paint our sin some, something pretty, amen. But what I'm saying to you this morning is we have all betrayed Jesus, just like Judas. Turn to James 121. Uh, here it shows how the Word of God is a mirror, and it just shows us who we really are. You look into the Word of God... It's just like looking in a mirror, and Paul talks about it in several places. It, it, it just shows you all of your flaws. Look at James 1.21. says, says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So what's the context? The word of God. We're talking about the word of God. And it says, verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, talking about the reader, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was, as in forgetting what he saw in the word of God, forgetting what he looked like, forgetting about his sin. Verse 25, but whoso looketh on the perfect law of liberty, the context is the word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed of his deed. Looking into the word of God is, is, is a reflect, shows the reflection of what our heart really is. And that is why we don't like to read the word of God. Because it shows us that, oh, we're a sinner. And I don't care if you've been saved for 30 years. It will show the sin in your life that you have been neg neglecting an almighty God. You might have all your ducks in a row. You might, um, you, you, you might think uh, you're the most spiritual person on the planet. You, you got everything lined up. I, there's this one flaw that you got, right? It's one thing that you really, you, you know, you've been struggling. But it's no big deal because you're better than everybody else, right? When you study the Word of God, all you're going to be able to see is that flaw. God's going to show you you're wrong here. Oh, and it'll probably add some pride to that. Amen. 
Amen. It's kind of obvious, like when you drop, you've seen those illustrations that you do in the kids' class. You, you have this clear water, and you drop like one drop of black dye in there. There's one drop of sin in that clear, perfect water. It just muddies up the whole thing. It just muddies up the whole thing. You say, but pastor, I've, I've have never and I will never betray Jesus. Doesn't that remind you of Peter? I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. Boom, 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 boom. Three times automatically denying them. It's easy to say amen, praise the Lord. It's easy to listen to gospel music in the church house. It's easy to talk about godly things in the church house, but we walk out those doors and turn off the gospel, put on the secular, change our vocabulary. We can cuss now. We can tell all them jokes, and we can now be partakers of all those conversations that are ungodly. thing is, we betray the Lord every time we don't spend time in the Word when we should have. We betray the Lord, just like Judas, every time that we don't spend time in prayer like we should have. And just like Judas, we betray the Lord every time that we continue to sin knowing that it displeases God. Every time we ignore to do what's right when we know that we should be doing right. And, and, and let me add this. Not all Christians are mature enough to know what they should be doing. You say, what? Right and wrong is right and wrong. Amen, it is. But just like a child doesn't understand everything right and wrong as, until, as they grow. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him in his sin. What's that mean? Well, what, what, what's it say uh, once you get past chapter, book, and verse? What's it actually saying? There, there are those that don't know to do good. There's a growing process in our spiritual walk. The problem is we think we're saved. Good enough. All I need is my salvation. I don't need to do nothing for Christ. Try being a child in the Gunther home and saying, I'm a part of the Gunther family. I don't need to do nothing for the family. <laughs> you didn't do your morning chores spanking, uh, night chores spanking, believe it or not, spanking. Amen. Whatever it is. But there's a lot of adolescent Christians out there that don't know how to live the Christian life. And that's why Satan doesn't want you to study because he don't want you to grow. I was just mentioning this morning, uh, I, 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 my job's boring right now. I got another week. Thank God for it. I feel bad complaining. But I'm not allowed to have my phone out. But I stand here, I'm telling you, I stand here most of the day just like this. So I put my phone hiding in a spot, and I put it to where the screen stays up, and I've been just like looking. I'm trying to memorize scripture, right, just to keep your brain going, and it's good. And, and, and uh, um, what is it, Romans 10, 17, Right? I started looking at it, and we all know the scripture. Um, I just blanked out. Um, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? We know that verse. And we think of faith as all salvation faith, and that's true. Faith. You have to have faith. You have to have faith for salvation to accept Christ as your personal Savior. But, But, you know, so then faith cometh by hearing... Let me unpack this for 30 seconds. Faith, faith cometh by hearing, right? We can hear with our eyes because we're hearing it in our minds as we read it. Faith cometh by hearing, right? Hearing by the word of God, whether it's being preached, whether you're reading it, whatever it is. 
the word of God, faith. But it does, faith doesn't end with salvation. The problem is you have Christians that get saved and they say, I'm good to go. I don't need to grow in Christ. I can put this away. I don't need it till Sunday. You're not growing in faith. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now you have a shallow faith. It's a flower that's trying to grow, but you ain't watering it. What's it gonna, it's going to shrivel up and die. Anything that happens in your life, am I really saved? I, don't, I struggle. I don't know. There's a death in my family. What do I do? I don't know what to... All these problems come in our life because we're not growing the spiritual man. But if we would just hear the word of God through preaching and through reading... Oh, I hope it's more through reading and study than anything else. Now we're going to grow in faith and we're going to know what we believe. God didn't give us the, 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 the number one selling book of all time just so we could put it on a shelf. Amen. Number one, Judas portrayed Jesus just like we do. I didn't say did. Just like we do. Number two, Judas was a thief. Look at John chapter 12, verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment with spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the outdoor or with the odor outdoor, with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Look at this. This is said not that he cared for the poor. But because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. How do we know that Judas was a thief? Because the word of God says he was a thief. Can I tell you something from my own experience in ministry as a pastor and not as a pastor? In general, always an exception, but in general, the one who complains the most about finances is the one who doesn't help at all with the finances or helps at least with the finances. <clears throat> um, the one who, uh, doesn't, ha who, who um, um, doesn't help in any particular part of something will complain the most. The, the, me and Jessica were talking the other day that we, somebody we used to know, we'd be on the bus, in, uh, uh, the church bus, and so often this person would complain about trash on the bus. That person never picked up trash on the bus, but it was somebody else's job to do it. The person who does the least complains the most. The person who gives the least will complain the most about how money's spent. Amen. The person who doesn't tithe or give offerings to the missions or, or, or give missions or give the offerings or give tithes, amen, is, is always the one who's most concerned about how the pastor spends money around the church. I know from experience... There are plenty of God robbers out there. Oh, I know we don't want to call it that because that's hurtful. But there's plenty of God robbers out there knowing that they ought to be given, whether it's tithes, missions, or offerings. There's three ways to give that we should be given by principle throughout Scripture. Which one do we choose not to do? Just choose which, which one are we not doing? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Judas betrayed Jesus just like we do. 
And Judas was a thief, just like so many of us are. And number three, Judas had a best friend, whether he knew it or not, Brother Tony. Matthew 26, 47, it says, While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. And now that he betrayed, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Man, what a, what a hypocrite. When we read that, we say, what a hypocrite, but yet, how often we say, we love you, Lord. I love you so much. I'm here on Sunday. And then forget all about you the rest of the week. We come and we kiss him. We say, hail, master. Then we forget about him as soon as we walk out the doors. That's why children don't want to come back to church because they see how mom and dad live. How important it is for mom and dad to come to the house of God. Verse 50, he said, and Jesus said unto him, friend, wherefore art thou come? They came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. You guys realize that Judas betrayed Jesus all along. Judas was a thief all along. Yet Jesus called him friend. That goes against every fleshly thing in our body. Somebody betrays us in our flesh. Oh, man, it's on like Donkey Kong. We want to teach them a lesson. I'm going to show them. I'm going to. Post this, <laughs> I'll show them. Childish, childish. Jesus called Judas friend. And there's no question that Jesus was the best and greatest friend that Judas ever had, whether he realized it or not. Amen. But here's the amazing thing about it. Jesus was the best friend of Judas, even though Judas betrayed, betrayed him. Church, can, can I tell you something? I, I know this is one-on-one, Christianity 101. You're going to say, oh my goodness, this is junior church language. Jesus still loves us, yes, even though we betray him. Yes. Yes. The problem is, we're just so used to God's grace. I don't need to repent for my sins. I don't even need to feel bad, Miss Diane. I, I, don't need to, I don't even need to feel guilty for not even doing what I ought to be doing for the Lord on any level. Pick any level. Whatever, whatever's in your mind, whatever sin, whatever you ought to be doing right now and you're not. Jesus still loves you. He still gave himself for you. Even though we betray him. We're betrayers and we're thieves. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath many friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Whether you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior or not, Jesus is the best friend that you'll ever have, whether you accept him or not. Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have, even when you betray him. Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have, even though you keep back what's really his as a thief and a robber. I don't want to be known as Judas. Your heart might be so used to being so calloused for so long to not care about sin, to not care about growing the spiritual man, just to 
so cast because so long you've been saying, I'm saved, I'm good to go. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. Even though I know I should be doing this, and I should be doing this, and I should be doing this. You might have been ignoring God's principles for so long that you're callous to it. I don't want to be callous to it. I want to feel conviction when I do wrong, Brother Tony. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. That means what's, there might be a time in my life what's wrong for me might not be wrong for you or you or you as we grow. Miss Hope is older than Wyatt and Ava. She knows that she ought to do this, this, and this. Even Wyatt may not know that yet. It's wrong. She's more accountable for more sins than the kids are. And so are we. Amen. So are we. I wasn't planning on turning here, but turn to Isaiah 62. We'll close in just a second. Isaiah 62. It matters to have a good name. I don't want to be called lazy or angry or selfish or hateful or impatient. I don't want to be known as a sinful person or a brawler. I want to be called by godly names that have godly attributes, patient and kind, faithful. Oh, that Christian over there. We always look at ourselves in the best light, and we like to think, oh, God thinks of me as always trying to do the best I can. In my situation, God, God knows that I just try to do the best I can, which is a complete lie to ourselves, first of all. Complete lie. But I would hope that God would have attributes when he thinks of me as faithful, honorable, has character. I would hope it wouldn't be calloused, abusive to the liberty in Christ that we have. Oh, I don't have to, so I won't. God didn't say I had to, so I won't. What we're called is important because it makes a statement. God changed the name of Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. Saul called himself Paul. It helped him in his ministry. It wasn't necessarily because he became... Uh, or he became a, a child of God, amen, although the timing was right about there. But names are important to God. And let's close with this scripture. We're all going to be given a new name if you've accepted him as your Savior. Isaiah 62.2 says, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. I listened to an interview, and, and the message is over, so we'll be done in a moment. But I listened to an interview of a preacher years ago. And the first question that the interviewer asked the pastor, the, 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 pastor, the preacher, was, uh, how old were you when you gave your life to Christ? 
And the pastor said, I actually don't like that term. And that threw me for a loop. Like, why would the pastor say that? And the interviewer was confused just as I was listening. Like, what do you mean? Are you not saved? He said, I'm absolutely saved. I became a child of God and he gave a rough time or whatever. But he said, I didn't give my life to Christ until such and such time and later in his life. The children of Israel were saved at the Red Sea. They didn't really serve God until they crossed that Jordan River. And I believe, my opinion, that when they crossed into the Jordan River, that's when their Christian walk began as a child of God. I believe they were, that there's a picture of salvation crossing the Red Sea, but they, 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 they stepped up and said, Lord, I'm going to serve you now. And I believe that there are so many Christians that they might be saved. There might be a time in their life where they called upon God and accepted him as their personal savior. But they never really gave their life to Christ. I remember um, um, not Ken Ham. What's the other guy? Hoven. Kent Hoven gave a great analogy. He's got a big swing on his reserve there, whatever he's got, and um, the creation plantation that he has, I don't know what it's called, and he's got a huge swing, he said, and he would tell the kids, you can believe in that swing, and you can look at that swing, and you can know that swing will take me from there to there, I believe in that swing, you can declare that you believe in that swing, you can can have all kinds of friends that believe in that swing, you can sing about that swing. You, you can sing about it. You can, you can even uh, uh, memorize, memorize verses about that swing that you're believing in. You can believe that that swing will do that. But until there's a time where you believe on that swing, and you put your trust on that swing, and you get on that swing, and you go for a ride on that swing, not until then and only then, is there salvation in the heart of each and every believer that is actually a child of God? Just because you say you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. Period. I believe that there's so many, so many people, so many in, in, in different circles will, will push, push, push salvation. So, and look, the number one push that we have as Christians, we ought to be pushing salvation, uh, giving the gospel. But I am so against giving the gospel uh, uh, in, in, in pressuring somebody into doing something if they don't fully understand it. And you have these junior church classes. you want to go to heaven, everybody? Yeah, and I, can, I, I promise you I'd go over there and get every kid to raise their hand. I want to go to heaven. Amen, raise your hand. Say this prayer. You're going to heaven. Then they might spend the rest of their life saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was a time I think I said something. Um, I don't really... I don't really know what, what I said or what it really meant, but I, the teacher said I was saved. Or I said a prayer, I repeated after him, and I said what he said. No. Right. Yeah, with a mouth confession is made into salvation. Amen. But it's with the heart. It's a heart change. The mouth is just an expression of what's in the heart. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I mean, hello, that's what the verse is really referring to. It has to be a heart change in your heart, a moment in your life that you can look to and understand what you did, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's why we, we don't push Adeline to get saved, didn't push Adeline to get saved, or our children to get saved. Because if they don't understand it, then you're not just wasting everybody's time, but you're not going to confuse a child. You've got to understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Otherwise, you're, you're just believing in and you're not believing on. A lot of people believe in God. Just like, I mean, Satan believes in God. He doesn't believe on God. There's a huge difference. We're a lot closer to Judas than we realize, Christian. We think that we're so great. Oh, we, we, we dress our best to church as we should. But that doesn't mean we're spiritual. That doesn't even mean we're a child of God. Brother Tony, we betray Christ all the time. We take what's, what we think we deserve. And we don't give it to the Lord because we deserve it. We earned it. I had a, a Christian friend I used to work with, he used to tithe and he used to, go, he used to go to church. He didn't even go to church anymore. And he told me that they don't tithe anymore either because they worked so hard to get his wife through, through, through college to become a nurse. And he said that they just, they worked so hard for their money, they just didn't want to give it to the Lord. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. As we grow in the Lord, we have more to be accountable for. We're going to have a moment of invitation, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, this altar isn't just for somebody coming to get saved, but oh, it sure is for someone to come to know the Lord. This altar is to pray for somebody else. This altar is to pray for somebody that's going through a hard time. This altar is to, 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 to pray about a burden that might be in your life. This altar is not just for salvation, but oh, church. I would hope that somebody, if you're not saved this morning, if you've never called upon, if you've never called on God, that you would do that this morning. Literally change your eternity. Let's close. Dear Lord, help us to... Look to you as our personal Savior, not just as a Savior or the Savior.